All right, we're transitioning over. Um, the problem with most churches is that we're trying to do ministry without the art of relationships. And we are heavy in the ministry, but low in the art of relating. And what I've discovered over the years as a shepherd is that you cannot get a lot done if you do not understand the common grounds of what it means to relate according to God's agenda. When you study the life of Jesus, two-thirds of his ministry was interpersonal. Only one-third of his ministry was public proclamation. Just go back and look at the Gospels. And when you think about it, we say we want to be like Jesus. Well, that means that we need to understand what it means to relate (laughs) and God's design for relationships. And what I've discovered over the years is that too often people have reduced relationships to a means to their personal end. And as a result, relationships are destructive. And the fact is, because we are Christians, and I tell people this who are married, I tell people this coming into the church, the closer you get to anybody, the clearer you get to see and experience their depravity. And that's what most people, when they get married, are shocked about. They didn't realize just how depraved the other person was. And that person didn't realize how depraved you were. And all that evil and wickedness that's in you, even though we have been set apart, we are still being set apart. Right? We have been sanctified positionally. We're being sanctified progressively to one day have glorification. So in the middle, there's a lot of ugly stuff in all of us. And the closer we get to each other, we get to see and experience all that ugly stuff. Relationships were meant to be the avenue by which we manage and work through that ugly stuff together. The fact that we don't realize that is why many churches struggle, why many marriages struggle, why many relationships in a church struggle, because we thought that being saved meant that we would always do things right and you wouldn't see the ugly side of the other person and that everybody loves the Lord at the same level. Well, if you study the book of Ephesians for just a moment from verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11 to verse 15, it talks about the fact that we are to grow up in all aspects into him and that it is a process that takes time until we all come to the level of faith and maturity in Christ. Well, when is it going to happen in any church where we're all going to be at the same level of faith and maturity in Christ. Exactly. So this idea that we're always going to be on the same page and always love each other at the right level is inconsistent with reality. And what I keep trying to tell people is the real church is the church where you see a whole lot of nitty gritty inconsistencies and contradictions and issues that have to be worked out. Because, again, the closer we get to each other, we get to see each other's depravity. And the key is not to run away from it. It's to learn how to embrace and love people through it to help us grow up in our sanctification. That requires relationships. 
we're trying to do ministry activity in a world that needs relationships. We're trying to do more service without relationships. God has called us to relationships. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are builders for Christ. We are disciples of Christ. The moment we recognize that each one of those things require us to relate a certain way and to be in relationships. As a disciple, I'm a follower of Christ. What does that mean? I need to apply John 17, 3. I need to learn how to know him. I need to adjust my life to be obedient to him. So in my knowing and character, I need to draw closer and closer to reflecting him in the way I handle myself. But what does that mean for other people? Every person I encounter, if they're not a believer, that means that I'm an ambassador. My relationship skills need to be such that I recognize they don't belong to Jesus. So I need to be connecting with with them in such a way that they can see the light in me of Christ, but that I can give them the message. If they belong to Jesus Christ, that means I'm a builder. I need to be investing in every Christian's life so that through that relationship, they grow in character and grow in faith. That's not complicated, is it? But everything I've mentioned is in the Bible, and all of that is done through relationships. But therein lies the problem. We're trying to do ministry activity. God has called us to relationships. So with that in mind, I want to talk to you about the cycle of relationships and hopefully guide you to think through two ways that we tend to relate to each other. There's a selfish way of relating and there is the godly way of relating. We're going to pick that up in a moment. But before we do, there are 10 things I want you to consider. I don't know if you have those with you. Do you have those 10 things? Oh, good. Key point. Hey, all right. Organization. Thank you, wifey. She makes me look good. I mean, you would think if it was me doing this stuff, you guys would see something different. (laughs) All right. Number one, life is about functioning according to God's design. And that's the most important thing I want you to take away. Did God create anything for itself? So if nothing is created for itself, to live for yourself is inconsistent with why God created you. That's why self-serving relationships never work. Okay. Secondly, a life lived for self will be a life lived in distance, damage from God, or damage to others, distance from God, and destruction of self. You weren't meant to live for yourself and by yourself. That is why, and I love to ask this, any... uh, single or let me say only children in the room other than myself and my wife any only children grew up as an only child so both of you had okay only child only child only one other only child in the room us three okay now when you grow up as an only child you kind of get this idea that the whole world revolves around you (laughs) right And I can remember getting married to my wife. The whole world revolved around me and the whole world revolved around her. Right. We had to have a lot of space in the house because we always wanted to have our own little little sections. Right. And I remember hanging out younger, growing around my friends. If it got too crazy, I'd go back to my house because it was just too much noise and too much stuff. Sometimes, unfortunately, people can live as if they are only children in Christ. And that's a dangerous place to be as if it's all about you, all about your devotion, your quiet time, all about your life. 
God did not save us to be to ourselves. God saved us to himself and to a relationship. But when you act as if the world is all about you and you're to yourself, what happens is that you don't understand the importance of relationships in the body of Christ. You want to do ministry, but you don't understand ministry is tied to relationships. And as I shepherd a lot of guys getting into the pastorate, I hear their passion. And what I had to tell one guy is, you love ministry. You don't love people. You love hearing yourself talk about truth. You don't love the people that you're trying to give the truth to. And you have great insight, but you are miserable as it relates to people. Real ministry means you got to connect to people, not just talk about some stuff and be good at it. You got to be able to go beyond the message to connect with the people. It's about relationships. He didn't like that. But I hope it helped him eventually. Does that, does that make sense, everybody? So with that, number three, a life lived for the glory of God will result in glorification of God, transformation into Christ-like character, transformation in the character of self and the edification of others. When you are living for Christ, life is always bigger than you. When you're living for you, it's all about you. And I can't tell you how many Christians I've run into that are more excited about their devotion time than they are developing other people's lives. That's very dangerous. Your devotion is fuel. It's not the end, it's the means. Think about how we were saved. Just think about this practically. God, I think we talked about this. Maybe I shared this with you last night. I forget. I was in both tracks. So if you heard it, act like you didn't hear it before. Um, God saved us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and soon the presence of sin. Is that correct? In this salvation, two things happen. We have been changed or saved or changed from sinner to saint. That's positional. Our condition has changed. We're no longer dead. We're now made alive. We're new creatures. Is that correct? Why would God save us from the penalty, the power, and soon presence of sin, change our position and condition? Three simple reasons. And you can sum up the Christianity, our Christianity, in three realities. We have been saved to know him. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that we may know the Father and the Son whom he had sent. We have been saved to become like him. He says in 2 Corinthians three eighteen, from glory to glory, we're being transformed into the image of Christ. And we have been saved to be useful to him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. So the comprehensive reality of our salvation is that we have been saved to know him, to become like him, to be useful to him. How are we useful to him? Through being an ambassador to the world and builders of other Christians. That's how we're useful. And all of those things require something very simple. Relationships. Obedience is not the end goal of Christianity. Obedience is the avenue to know him, to become like him, to be useful to him. So the reason why we are to study to show ourselves approved, the reason why we are to obey God's word is that as we obey, we will know him. We will become like him. We will be useful to him. Now, that's the difference between righteousness that comes by faith and self-righteousness. 
Let me give an example. Let's say that one of you said to me, hey, Nicholas, if you want to get to know me, you're going to call me on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 7 p.m. Well, what you've said to me is if I want a relationship with you, you've set a law that I need to follow. And that law was to get to know you, I need to call you at 7 p.m. on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Okay? Now, let's say I call you every day or every one of those times on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and as soon as you pick up the phone, I hang up. But I tell everybody, see, I did what I was supposed to do. You said to call you, and I called you on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We have a relationship. Do we have a relationship? I followed the law. But I forgot the goal was to know you, not to follow it. That's the difference between self-righteousness and righteousness that's by faith. Self-righteous people think that doing it is the end goal, which makes them right. People understand that righteousness by faith in Christ means that this is the avenue to a relationship, not the end. My devotion time is not my spirituality. That's the avenue to know him, to become like him, to be useful to him. When people think that I'm impressed about how many times they've gone through the Bible, they tell me, you know, Dr. Ellen, this is my 20th time this year I've gone through the Bible, you know. And I look at them and I go, well, that's interesting. Well, how many times has the Bible gone through you in these 20 times? See, what I want to know is since you've read the Bible, what have you come to intimately know about his character? Since you've read the Bible, how has your character changed? Since you've read the Bible, tell me, how have you been investing in the lives of others as an ambassador and a builder? Now, that's impressive to me. Not what you know, but how what you know has led you to know him, become like him, be useful to him, because that's the relationship that we're called. That's the comprehensive reality of our salvation. Does that make sense, everybody? And when we stick at just studying the scripture, not studying the scripture so that we may, we're confusing self-righteousness with righteousness that comes by faith. That is the comprehensive reality. That's why relationships are so valuable. And that's why if we don't learn the reality of what we were meant to be and do as Christians, we get caught up in the side stuff. Evangelism is great. When it's about being an ambassador, connecting to unbelievers, not just about passing out a track. Because what did the word do? The word became flesh, not the flesh became word. I mean, if God just wanted to pass information, he didn't have to come down in the form of man to connect with us. He could have just passed information. It's always been bigger than information. It's always about giving ourselves. True or false? So that means relationships are at the center of this thing we call church. We call ministry. We call life. Knowing him. Becoming like him. Being useful to him. Number five. Relationships must operate according to God's agenda if we are to have a life of peace and productivity as designed by God. Single people struggle, married people struggle because we don't know how to relate. We use relationships as tools to push our personal agendas 
versus understanding relationships as avenues to elevate Christ and his agenda. And because of that, we always do what we've always done and always get what we've always got. We change relationships, but we don't change agendas. And for that fact, we are hurting more people and being hurt by more people because we keep pushing the same agenda. We just think that finally this is going to be the one. And all the other ones could have been the one if we all had the same agenda with each other. Does everybody see the logic of this? But if I don't understand that relationships were not meant to be my personal tool for my personal advancement, my security, my happiness, my assurance, and all the things that we do, then I just keep switching people and I keep switching churches. Because eventually one church is going to get it right. Or maybe it's me. You think? Am I making sense, guys, so far? Number six, every relationship you are going into, leaving out of, we're meant to teach you something about God, about self, about people and circumstances to the glory of God, the transformation of self and the Christ-like character and the edification of others. If you look at your life experiences, since comprehensively you were saved to know him, you were saved to become like him. You were saved to be useful to him. All of your life experiences are trying to guide you into that reality. Every tragedy, every crisis, every situation boils down to that. And what I try to teach people in counseling is very simple. This happened to me. This is going on in my world. This person did that. She did this. They didn't do this. And rah, rah, rah. And I let them go on and on and on with all those things. And I'll say, I'm so glad you shared. I've got three questions for you that I want you to process with me. I said, based upon all these things that are happening to you, what do you think God is trying to teach you to learn about him through the midst of all of this? Because there's something about him he wants you to gain from this. Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith is impossible to please God, but he who comes to him must believe that he is. And he's reward of those that seek him. There's something about his character that he wants you to glean from all of this trial, tragedy, whatever. What do you think that might be? And they process for a while and we try to work through that. Question two I ask is, based upon all these things that are happening to you, what do you think God is trying to teach you about you that needs to grow and change in the midst of all these things? What is it about your character that needs adjustment? Then the third question I will ask is, based upon all of the stuff you said to me, what do you think God is trying to help you develop as it relates to relating to others in? That after you learn these character issues of God, after you learn these things about yourself, how would that make you better at relating to others the way God designed you to relate? Because you do know, guys, all the issues and stuff you're going through, it's about those three things. You know why I said that? Because the comprehensiveness of your salvation is about what? Knowing him, becoming like him, and being what? And you're useful to him through being ambassadors and builders as your disciples. So all of your life experiences are about bringing you back to those three central realities. There's something about God you need to grow in as far as trust. There's something about your character you need to change in. And there's something about relationships you need to learn to develop in. Because at the end of it all, 
at glorification, you'll be at a level of intimacy, you'll be at a level of perfection and character, and you'll be relating in a way that brings glory to God for eternity. What would happen if you saw your Christianity at that level? How would that change your life? How would that change your devotion? How would that change your Bible study? How would that change the way you relate to other people? How would it change your dating? How would it change your marriage? You would see it totally different. Number eight, whatever you're hoping in will demonstrate if you will be a help or a hindrance to people in your life. Now think about that for a moment. Whatever you're hoping in will determine if you'll be a help or a hindrance to people in your life. Your expectations clouds your judgment of relationships. Because if you're living with people more out of your expectations from them, then you're not paying attention to who they are. You're more concerned about what they need to be for you. And so what happens, you tend to be a lot frustrated because they're not living up to your expectations because you're centered in on what you want from them more than what God would have you do for them or with them. And one of the challenges that I have when working with people in relationships is that I ask them to lower their expectations of people and raise their love for people. Because what tends to happen is they have higher expectations for people than they have love for people. And see, our expectations, again, it clouds our judgment because we're too busy looking at how they're not fitting the agenda and the fantasy and the idea we had for them for us. And it's hard for us to accept their failures because their failures impact our agenda. Is that true or false? So disappointments in relationships really say more about you and less about them. Which leads me to number nine. Disappointments in relationships are an opportunity to develop in character and to glorify God or to destroy relationships and dishonor God. Because in your disappointments, here's what you're discovering. You're discovering the things that God didn't promise. The hope of the Lord does not disappoint. So where you are disappointed, what does that mean? There's something you were looking for that God did not promise. Because everything God promised is going to happen. He will not disappoint you. You say, well, I've been disappointed by God a lot. Yeah, that's because you were hoping for things he didn't promise. He didn't disappoint you. You made expectations of God that God never said he would fulfill, which is what you're doing with other people in your life. But instead of evaluating the disappointments, you keep changing the people and staying ticked at God. Does that make sense? And you keep thinking, well, God will finally do it if I'm a good little girl, a good little boy, if I study my Bible more, if I give more, if I'm more obedient, then God will finally give me what I expected. And then he does, and you go, see, I tried that Christianity thing, and it doesn't work. No, you tried to use God, and it didn't work. That's why I don't trust people. Well, you don't trust people because you put people in the wrong place in your life to do things that they weren't designed to do, to give you things that God never said they would. No wonder you don't trust people. I wouldn't trust people either. You shouldn't trust them for that. They weren't designed to be that in your life. Does that make sense, everybody? But the problem is we don't see the disappointments or opportunities to reevaluate what we've been hoping for that God didn't promise. And how maybe we've pigeonholed people to a position that 
if we would have really looked at them for who they were and not what we wanted, we would have saw the reality. I always tell people that. What if you dealt with people according to who they were and not according to what you wanted? How much clarity would you have in dealing with them? You'd see them for what they were and not for what you wanted. Things would be a lot different, wouldn't they? Disappointments give us that opportunity. Number 10, relationships were meant to guide us into something bigger than ourselves and greater than our personal agendas. God has allowed you to struggle in your relationships for a reason. He's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to help you see something that you didn't see before. And the reality is we don't truly know how to love. And what better place to put you is in relationships with people where the depravity shows up and you have to make a decision. Stupid question. John 13, 34, 35, new commandment I give you, love as I've loved you. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for another. You know, love as I have loved you. Here's how we have to philosophically think about that question. Did Jesus love us according to who we were? Or did Jesus love us according to who he was? That's interesting. So if he loved us according to who he was, not according to who we were, there was never a performance issue. He made a decision in spite of us, not because of us, to do right by us because that's who he was. But didn't he tell us to go do the same thing? Oh, stupid question. And did he not give us... God, the Holy Spirit, whom the the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he became the seal of the promise to come. Am I just making up stuff? Is that in the Bible? And is it not true that the fruit of the Spirit is? So if that's true, when I'm not loving someone, whose fault is it? Here's a dumb question. Does anyone deserve to be loved? So what's your excuse for being so unloving? If no one deserves to be loved, do we have an excuse for being so unloving with the people in our lives? This is why I tell people we have to make a lot of confessions instead of making so many excuses. We need to make confessions. We have the power to love. We just don't. Because we've reduced relationships to something other than what God intended. This is the setup before we get into the cycle that I needed to do with you because I needed you to understand Just how much work we as saints have to do as it comes to relationships. Why our marriages, why our relationships, why things are struggling. We have a warped view that's missing the reality that if we really love someone, there's nothing they can do about it. I always ask people a simple question. If there's a lack of love in your house, whose fault is it? And the moment they start pointing at the other person, I say, you truly have missed what love is, haven't you? Because if we're following Jesus Christ, that means we're to love as he loved us. Before we get into this, I've said a whole lot. And you look like deer to headlights. (laughs) I want to give you a few minutes. (laughs) Take a few minutes to process. Talk to each other when we come back. 
We'll look at the cycle of relationships and we'll use the book of Proverbs to help us. Take about two or three minutes and we'll walk through the cycle of relationships. All right, guys, turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter three. Let's look at verse five and six for a moment. And from this verse, I kind of want to show you um, a consideration of the cycle of relationships that we can lean on from some practical things that we see. When you are looking at Proverbs to try to do exposition of it, think about it this way. When you're looking at a proverb, it either gives you a prescription for life or is giving you a description for life. And so you can go from one verse to another where it's going from prescription to description, back and forth, all through the book of Proverbs. And so when we look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to verse 6, we're getting a prescription for life. (laughs) And he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Conjunction, junction. What's your function? Hooking up words. Okay, and do not, right? Lean on your own understanding. Now, the first part of that verse, trust in the Lord. The Hebrew word for Lord, there's Elohim. It gives us the idea of the self-existent God that has no beginning and end. Trust has the connotation of resting, relaxing, putting your whole weight on something. We are to rest, relax, put our whole weight on this self-existent God and with all of our heart. With all of our mind, with all of our will, with all of our affections. This trust starts from the inside out. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. But here's what we want to build. And do not lean on your own understanding. Now, to lean on your own understanding is simply this. It's a human observation without a biblical interpretation. Human observation, I see this thing without a biblical interpretation. In other words... I bring my own definition to my experiences. I bring my own definition to the things I'm going through. I'm not bringing God's definition to my experiences and what I'm going through. This is what's happened to me. This is how I define it. Therefore, this is what it is. When I'm helping people in counseling, my first step is to first help them see that their understanding of their life situation does not line up with God's definition of their life situation. Until they can accept that, we can't move into change. And too often what most of you do, you assume that people have the same understanding you have, and so you're pushing them to try to do something. You never stop to see how they're defining their experiences and if their definition matches God's definition. So part of what happens with relationships is that when we're leaning on our own understanding, we will live in what we call self-centered relating. And when you're leaning on your own understanding, you're operating in pride. And let me give you the picture of this, because what happens, and, and all of us, you've experienced this before, you'll see it in a moment. The moment I define a relationship by my own experience and not see the relationship from God's perspective, I will deal with people according to my picture. Let me explain what I mean by my picture. Let's say I have stupid written on my forehead. And every time I say something, a bright light goes across my forehead and says, this guy is dumb. Okay? And the more I talk, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter, and it keeps saying, this guy is dumb. You can't believe a word he's saying. Even if I'm telling the truth, if that's your picture of me, 
How will you hear everything that comes out of my mouth? As what? <coughs> it may not be true, but because you're leaning on your own understanding, how will you hear everything as that? And when we're in a cycle of self-centered relating with people, as we lean on understanding, we deal with them according to our picture. And what does that mean? We have a settled perception, a settled perspective of them. And it doesn't matter what they say or do, because we've decided that's what they are and that's who they are. We don't hear what they're saying according to what they're saying. We hear it according to that picture. Let me give you an idea. You have a settled opinion about a person's character, conduct, conversations, commitments, care, compassion, concern in relation to yourself, God, others, and life situations. The problem with your settled opinion is that sometimes it's true, sometimes it's false. So when you're leaning on your own understanding in relationships, you start with that cycle. I see you according to my picture. I have settled in my mind. That's what you are. So it doesn't matter what you say. That's how I hear you. Scripture tells us that he who trusted his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. So, again, it starts with the picture, but then it moves into something even a little bit more uglier. I deal with you according to my preferences. So what do I mean by preference? I have a way you should be thinking. I have a way you should be talking. I have a way you should be doing things. And if you're not doing it my way, you are wrong. And so what happens, I've already settled in my mind the picture of you. And as you're doing stuff, I've already judged you according to my preferences. And so as we're relating, if you aren't doing things my way according to my preferences, we're going to have problems. It's like the first fight my wife and I had in marriage was over washing clothes. Promise you, first year. I was taking the clothes, I brought them downstairs, and I was putting them in, trying to do what I do. My wife came and looked at it and said, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? I said, I'm washing clothes. She said, that's not washing clothes. I said, no, that is washing clothes. She said, no, that's not washing clothes. And like the Lionel Richie song, all night long, all night, back and forth. We were at each other's throats all night over washing clothes. Does that sound familiar to some of you? (laughs) Think of how many battles you have in relationships because you've reduced the relationship to your own understanding and you have sized this person up as this and your way is right and their way is wrong. Let me give you an example. You're consumed with the ways you want the person to function in character, conduct, conversation, commitments, the ways you want the person to commit and care about you and others. You're consumed with the ways you want the person to be concerned about you and others, to be compassionate towards you and others. In other words, if they don't think like you, act like you, do it the way you would do it, everything they're doing is wrong. And because you're leaning on your own understanding, this is how you are dealing with them. You see them this way and you're handling them according to your preferences. Am I in your house yet? (laughs) This is what happens when we reduce relationships to our own understanding this is how i see you this is how i think you ought to do things and if you're not doing it that way i'm not listening to you if you're doing it the other way i'm judging you because it's not right because it's not the way i was raised to do it it's not the way i thought it should be done and so i have problems in this relationship 
Therefore, Romans 14, 16 says, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as what? Now, here's what happens. Cycle of self-centered relating. I've got this picture of you. I've minimized you to this picture. I see you according to my preferences. So guess what? I make a lot of presumptions about everything you do before it even happens. You scratch your nose. I presume why you're scratching your nose. You pause in a sentence to say something. I've already assumed and presumed that it's something evil. I put you at a place of evil intent. Let, Let me see if I can put it to you this way. You deal with people according to this big picture. You're always dealing with them according to how you think they're going to mistreat you or how you think they're not going to give you what you want. And you have minimized the relationship to everything being about what they do either for you or what they're not doing with you or what you think they're going to do against you. And so everything that they do or don't do is presumed that it's about something that's going to happen against you or not for you. And you've sized them up as the enemy before anything has happened. How do we get there? Because we have minimized the relationship according to our picture of the person. We minimize it according to our preferences. So we presume a lot before things happen. You make judgments or assumptions about the person's motives, desires, words, actions, and the situation on a matter that is not proven to be true at the moment. It is an assessment and interpretation based upon your picture and preferences of that person in that moment. Proverbs 14:12 says there's a way that seems right to a man but it ends what? In the way of death. So notice what happens in self-centered relating. I've sized you up according to what I think about you. I deal with you according to what I think is right and wrong, my preferences, I make a lot of presumptions. So guess what? I feel a whole lot of pain in my heart. But who do I think is causing the pain? Of course is you. Based upon my picture, based upon my preferences that you're lacking in, my presumption, you are really causing a lot of hurt in my life. And I feel so miserable because of you. Does this sound familiar? And what's sad is when you're leaning on your own understanding, you create a construct of a relationship based upon this fantasy and you're treating others as if it's reality let's talk about pain for a moment you experience disappointment anger grief sadness discontentment you experience these emotions as a result of what you're thinking your thinking is dominated by your picture your preference and presumption of the person resulting in the pain you're experiencing but you don't see that and you come to counseling saying i am so hurt so mad do you understand how this person's treating me and when you unpeel the onion and start taking it back You start seeing how that person has limited the relationship to their picture of that person, how they've limited the relationship to their preferences and how the presumptions they've created because of it. And they believe the pain is caused by something outside of themselves. And in their mind, this person has to change in order for them to be okay. Which leads to this practice. You treat the person poorly as a result of your picture, preference and presumption and pain. You ignore God's precept on how to treat the person because you're not operating out of humility and love. You're operating out of pride and lust. As a result, you feel justified in your actions. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool displays folly. Let me share what this looks like, counseling situation. 
a man says, my wife is lazy. That's his picture of her. I just wish she would do more around the house to help me. That's his preferences. And I know that when she's going to sit on the couch for the day, I know nothing is going to happen. That's presumption. And I am so hurt as a man because I thought my wife was supposed to help me pain and then practice. That's why I stay out late at night. That's why I get drunk all the time because I don't want to have to come home and face that. Practice. You ever heard that before? So then the wife hears this and says, okay, I want to try to make things better for my husband. So she tries to do some things around the house. She works on a few things. And then she sits on the couch and says, now, what else could I do? And as she's sitting on the couch, her husband comes through the door. Did you not hear anything I said in counseling? But you don't know. I don't want to hear it. How many times have you done just this? In your relationships with others. You've so reduced it to your picture. You've got all these preferences. You've made all these presumptions. You've got all this pain. And you're holding them hostage in your mind. And your practice is ungodly. And you feel justified. That's the cycle of self-centered relating. Because you're leaning on your own understanding. Take a few moments. Process. When we come back, we'll look at the solution. And we'll look at the other part of Proverbs to see what's the solution. Okay, guys. Let's take a look at the second part. We saw Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Again, we just gave one application, leaning on your own understanding, human observation without a biblical interpretation. We kind of showed you what that could lead to as it relates to relationships. Verse 6, he says, In all thy ways... Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now, what it means to acknowledge in that passage, the Hebrew word has this connotation of a circumspect evaluation and a willing submission. So in other words, acknowledge is not giving a shout out to God. Hey, God, I just want to let you know I'm here. Acknowledge here means looking at every area of your life, seeing what God says, and then surrendering to that. In all thy ways acknowledge. Acknowledgement here is again, I recognize who's in charge. If this is what you say about money, if this is what you say about marriage, if this is what you say about relationships, if this is what you say about people, based upon what you say, I accept that reality and I submit to it practically. That's what it means to acknowledge. In all thy ways acknowledge him, it says, and he will make your path Straight, And what it means to make your path straight is this. He'll make you morally upright. He'll make you biblically productive. He'll cause you to be satisfied. That's the idea. And he will make your path straight. Morally upright, biblically productive, satisfied. Morally upright, biblically productive, satisfied. That That's a beautiful reality. The moment we say, Lord, if this is what you say, I will submit an attitude and action to this, then we can expect to be morally upright, productive for the king, and satisfied in our souls. That's a beautiful payoff, don't you think? So if we were to acknowledge God in our relationships, here is what it would look like. 
Instead of dealing with people according to our picture, we will deal with people according to their position. Let me explain what that looks like. Does the Bible have something to say about how we need to handle people in authority over us? Does the Bible have something to say how we need to handle people who are equal to us in authority? Does the Bible have something to say how we need to handle people under our authority? Does the Bible have something to say about how we handle people who are believers? Does the Bible have something to say about people who are unbelievers? Does any of that has to do with our position or picture of that person? Absolutely not, does it? My opinion of you is irrelevant to God's role for me in your life. Let me put it another way. If God has put you over me in authority, my picture of you is irrelevant. What is my role with you according to God's command? If I deal with you according to your position versus according to my picture, do you think we're going to have a different way of relating? Because I'm going to deal with you not according to my opinions of you. I'm going to deal with you according to my responsibility and the role that God gave me with you which overrides my opinion of you. Is that true or false? When I deal that way, guess what? Now I'm going to deal with you according to your role. Are you a believer or unbeliever? Are you equal over or under me in authority? Well, according to where you stand in my life, according to what God has allowed you in my life, I'm going to do what God tells me to do with you according to the role you have in my life, which has nothing to do with my opinion. I may not like you, but it doesn't matter. What am I supposed to do with you? That's not complicated, is it? Let's look at that for a moment. You evaluate a person according to his or her position. Before God, they're either saved or unsaved. Before you, they're either in authority over you or subordinate to you or a colleague equal to you. When I relate to you according to your position, I'm more disciplined and more focused than according to my picture, which can change at any moment. How many of you know people are flaky? How many of you know that you're flaky? See, it's different to deal with people according to their position versus according to your picture. Your picture can change at any moment. What God wants you to do with them according to their role in your life is pretty consistent at every moment. Is that true or false? Now, watch this. Instead of dealing with people according to your preferences, from this manner, you deal with people according to God's priority. The goal of people are not to conform to your image and to do what you want. God said we are meant to be what? Ambassadors and builders. Huh. Does that have anything to do with my preferences with that person? Huh. You focus on how God wants a person to present and demonstrate their character, conduct, conversation, commitment, care, compassion, concern. You focus on how... A person may please God instead of focusing on how they may please you. We proclaim him, admonish every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in our image. Is that what he said? (laughs) Oh, so if I acknowledge God in all my ways and live according to his way, who you are is somewhat irrelevant versus What is your role in my life and what am I supposed to do with you accordingly? Instead of how you may do things the way I think, we look at what God thinks and what he wants. 
So you know what that does? Instead of me dealing with you out of presumption, I'm going to deal with you out of precept now. Instead of assuming and presuming, I'm going to be biblically thinking about this relationship. What does that mean? You evaluate a matter with a person according to truth in four categories. Is this a preference issue? Is this a wisdom issue? Is this a conscience issue? Is this a sin issue? You evaluate a matter with the truth according to their position before God and their position before you. Is this an opportunity to share the gospel? Is this an opportunity for me to lead, to follow, or to serve? From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Imagine what would happen if every relationship you dealt with, not according to your picture, but their position, not according to your preferences, but God's priority, not according to your presumption, but God's precepts. Instead of a lot of pain, you'd have a lot of peace, wouldn't you? You would experience tranquility of soul in spite of difficulty with the person as a result of evaluating the matter according to truth. Those who love your law have great peace and nothing can make them stumble. Back to the precept, it says, from your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. What would your practice be? You relate with the person according to your role and responsibility. If they're under you, you look after and lead in love. If they are over you, you line up with and be loyal to in love. If they're equal to you, you serve and give preference to in love. Your role and responsibility determines how you treat the person. Matters are handled by God's commands. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool displays folly. This isn't complicated. It's just hard because we're so stubborn and selfish. Is that true or false? Let me give an example of what this looks like. What if I said to you, well, you know, I don't really trust a lot of people in authority and I don't really trust a lot of the police. And so then I'm in the car and the siren comes on and I say, because I don't trust the authority and the police, I'm just going to keep on driving. What will happen to me, guys? You guys will see me on the six o'clock news talking about, I didn't trust authority and they have my hands behind my back, right? You see the problem with that? My trust of authority had nothing to do with God's role for me to submit to authority. And too often people use trust as an excuse for disobedience. Oh, I can't trust, therefore I can't. No, that's not true. I don't trust a lot of people that I have to submit to. Does that make sense? And trusting them is not the foundation for doing what God commanded me to do with them. And the moment you try to make it the foundation, you miss the reality of God's agenda. I'm sure that when we read the book of Peter, that they didn't trust Nero. Is that true or false? But what did Peter tell those Christians to do under Nero who was burning Christians on the stake? Fear authority. Submit to. We have to be very careful when we use the excuse of trust for not following God's command. Now, I did this to kind of help you see the cycle of relating when we make it selfish how I see you, what I think you ought to do for me and not do, what I keep thinking about you drives the relationship. But if I stay biblical, what is your role in my life according to Scripture? Therefore, if I handle you according to the role you have in my life, 
I'm going to be a lot stronger and stable in my relational skills. Why? Because I'm not dealing with you according to my picture. I'm dealing with you according to your position. Let me show you how that looks in my life. I have some people that I have to submit to. They have done some devious things. And I've had to be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. But I've had to submit to their authority, understanding that there are certain things that are in my purview to say no to. Because if it's sinful and, and not honoring God, I must say no. But there are certain things they're asking me to do them because I know who they are. There are certain things that I'm sure it's about, but I can't do anything about that because they haven't asked me to sin. Does that make sense? And because they haven't asked me to sin, their role in my life as authority, I must submit to and do what is asked of me because of their role in my life. But yet I can see some things that may happen. However, it's not my call to control the outcome of the situation or to be God. It's my call to do what I was commanded to do. Now, the moment they ask me to do something that doesn't fit God's design, fire me or do what must, I will not obey man, I will obey God. And I didn't like you anyway. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Am I making sense to you? But you see the difference between a cycle of self-centered relating And God-centered? Now let me make it personal. This is what's happening in your marriages. This is what's happening as you're relating to your children. You have reduced them to your picture. You've reduced them to your preferences. You make a lot of presumptions. You got a lot of pain that you're holding your mother or your father or your wife or your husband responsible and they're not responsible for. And you're treating them in some very horrible ways and you feel justified because you're leaning on your own understanding. And if we were to sit down together and have some true counseling, I would expose this to you, help you come to repentance so that there can be some changes. Now, the other person may still be as stubborn and mean as they started out being, but that was never under your control. But what you discover is the sanctification process that God will use to teach you how to be what you were called to be regardless of the other person. Because we were called to love not as they love us, but to love according to what? As we've been loved. And if we're to love as Christ loved us, he didn't love us according to who we were. He loved us according to who he was. It becomes a sanctification process. See, when I help married couples to think like this and families to think like this, things change because they recognize the power to obey is from within, not because of external things. Now, let me close out with this. I think I shared this last night. If I did, act like you never heard it. The same power to raise Christ from the dead is within you and within me. Is that correct? So therefore... I have the power to do many things. Philippians chapter 3 or 4, no, 2 says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Is that right? So I have the power to obey God. Is that correct? Because God is within me, giving me the power to obey. True or false? So if that's true, if you are a Christian, there's only three reasons why you're not obeying God. Only three. Hear me well. Only three reasons. 
If the power to raise Christ from the dead is within you and within me, I have the power to do everything God commands because he is within me and gives me the power to do so. There's only three reasons, only three, Christian, why you're not obeying God. Number one, lack of knowledge. I didn't know. I just didn't know. Number two, lack of skill. I just didn't know how. Or number three, lack of will. I just won't. Let that sink in. Lack of knowledge, I didn't know. Lack of skill, I didn't know how. Lack of will, I just won't. As a counselor, I have time for number one and number two. Guess what I won't take time with? I have no counsel for stubborn people. If you know what to do and know how to do it and you just won't do it, there's nothing I can tell you. There's nothing I can do. That's above my pay grade. That's a Hebrews 12, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And so when I'm dealing with Christians, and I know they're Christians, I'm trying to discern, is this a lack of knowledge, is this lack of skill, or is this lack of will? Because one and two, I'm going to give all my time, all my resources, all my energy, everything I have for one and two. I am not going to waste an ounce of time on number three. We're going to pray, and I'm going to get up and say, okay. We're done. Now, that's difficult for many of you because many of you want to be the Holy Spirit in the lives of people. And you think somehow that if you just say it this way, if you just do it that way, if you just handle it that way, they're going to change. And that's a lie. You can't make anybody obey. Now, think about this one reality. There's one thing that God will not do for you. God will not obey for you. God will empower you to obey, but he will not obey for you. So if God won't obey for you, who do you think you are that you're going to make someone obey what God says? The arrogance that that brings to the table that somehow you are going to make it happen. There is no junior Holy Spirit, guys. We are facilitators, not fixers. And the moment you find your place, you recognize, hey, if you don't want to obey God, I can't make you. But you can't stay in this local congregation. That's what church discipline comes in. That's another story. All right. My time is up. God bless you.